0: Um, let's pray, God, we, we, uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and I don't say that simply as a creedal uh, recitation, but we believe in the Holy Spirit because we believe right now in this, in this place, but in our, each of us who have the spirit of Jesus in us, he's at, your spirit is active. So pray that you'd be active, Holy Spirit, as we look into your word, and you would show us and say to us things that we need to see or hear so we can follow you with more abandon in our lives and find the abundance of life you've promised us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So I'm going to start with a, a question. And you, you've, if you've been around Exodus, you've heard some variation of this question before. But I think it's, uh, for me, it's kind of a crucial question to ask yourself occasionally. Here's the question. Heard, have you heard anything from God lately? And what are you doing with it? and in the past there's times i've focused on okay how do you hear from god you know god's telling you to go do this or go do this or go talk to that person or give this person money or give this church money or whatever but i also want to sometimes hearing from god is simply things that already are written in scripture of course you know uh, don't steal don't lie don't commit adultery honor your parents Sometimes we need to rehear those things from God or Jesus saying, "Forgive your enemies, love those who hurt you," and those kind of things. So, uh, have you heard anything from God lately? And what are you doing with it? And I'm guessing if you're like me, there's certain things that you feel like God's trying to get your attention about, and then you figure out, okay, how do I respond to this? All right. So t- today we're talking about this sense of how do you respond. When you hear God saying something, and why do some people respond and others don't, and how do you, how do we make sure we're part of this group of people who do what Jesus tells us to do? All right. So let me just start with an illustration. Uh, I haven't, I haven't every about every three, four years I talk about my grass in my house, which is like I don't know, it's a kind of a weird thing for me, but. I hate moles, by the way. They are totally after the fall. Before the fall, moles were probably like, I don't know, pretty puppies. I don't know what they were. But anyway, so every about every year now, it seems like I have to reseed part of my grass where moles have done the damage. And uh, I've learned, I'm not a grass expert, but I've learned that, first of all, you really have to break the soil open because where the moles have done their damage, the, the, it gets like rock-hard dirt. So you have to break the soil. You can't just throw seed on the soil. I've tried that. It doesn't work, okay? Break the soil, and I usually, I'm doing that because I usually have one of these hand tools. I had to bend down and scrape it. And, but then fertilizer helps. I found there's certain kind of there's certain kind of dirt you can buy at Lowe's or Menards. I don't know how much it costs, but it actually has fertilizer built into it. So if I put that down over the broken soil, then I put the seed on it, then I put the hay or straw, whatever you call it, on it because I don't want the birds to eat the seed. And I probably have, I don't know, maybe a 40% success rate with that. That's about it. Um, but my lawn, I'm not, well, my lawn isn't my idolatry, but I don't like bare spots in my lawn. So, But I'm just, there's a, there's a way things work is what I'm saying. I don't think any of us are farmers. I'm not sure if anybody grew up on a farm. But in terms of sowing seed, And seeing results, there is a way things work. You can't just, I used to try this, just throw the seed on the bare spots, hoping it would somehow dig its way down. Of course, it never does. Um, So there's a way things work. So we've been doing a series called uh, Following Jesus, and the subtitle is There's No One Like Him, and Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to say this, too. If you were here last week, you know I hit the table and spilled the grape juice. Kathy told me to stay seated, so I will stay seated and this red line on the floor is going to be my guideline. So anyway, I just thought about that. So, But there, there, Matthew wrote this as somebody who was an unlikely follower of Jesus. And he's, everything he writes is trying to show people this guy, Jesus, is unique. There's no one like him. Uh, there's n- and he is the one that we've all been waiting for. That is uh, the, uh, Isaiah passage we read to start the service that he's the servant. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. The Old Testament calls him all kinds of things. And for that matter, I would say most world religions have some sense of somebody who has that. But Jesus, I think, shows himself in any way possible as the one who can write the world back up. So, uh, so this week we're going to do Matthew 13. We've jumped around because we did Easter. We kind of went out of order and stuff. But in Matthew 13, uh, the way Matthew wrote the gospel, now there's like four or five parables back to back. Um just an aside too, when the Bible was written, there were no chapter or verse divisions. Those were added about 200 years ago. But, but regardless, there's a section of Matthew's letter, his book, that includes all of these parables. Like you know, We've had some chapters or some groupings when he wrote was all about his miracles. And there was a couple of times where he wrote all about his confrontation with the Pharisees. Um, now he's writing about, here's some of the Parables Jesus told. The the stories, parables are stories that illustrate that of, of human experience that you can understand that illustrate a spiritual point. So now the grouping, the chapter, which we'll call that is chapter 13, is these parables, like where Jesus is trying to help people understand things. And he's not just helping them understand trite things, there's not like the moral to the story. These are like life foundational life-giving things all right so Matthew 13 and today I usually try to do the whole chapter at a time but I'm just going to do uh, one parable out of this chapter and uh, we may use some other ones next week but I want to start with this one parable I want you to grab if you have the white thing on your paper um, there should be on your chair there should be one there should be a front and back to it this has already done you the favor of highlighting in yellow I suppose that you're getting the yellow pens out But uh, this is actually one of my favorite parables, just because of what it communicates. But I'm just going to read this while you follow along, all right? And and I'll tell you in advance, all the yellow parts, if I did it correctly, were parts where Jesus talks about listening and hearing. Like, that must be really important to him, listening and hearing, listening and hearing, right? All right. Uh, Later the same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into the boat. There he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, this is Jesus now talking. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered the seeds, as he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on the footpath. The birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. These seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender, garden, tender plants. So other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. All right. Read this last part, next part in yellow out loud with me. Here we go. anyone who dares to hear should listen and understand. All right. Some of the versions of the Bible is, he who has ears to hear, listen. And this is repeated a lot. Jesus repeats that phrase a lot. It shows up in the book of Revelation. But it seems like listening and hearing is a really, really, really important theme of Scripture. And it's really important to God that we listen to him, right? So whoever has ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? You can be clear. He says, he replied, you're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. It, it almost seems a little unfair of Jesus, but there's something going on here, right? To those who listen to my teaching, and the word listen there, and often in Scripture has a sense of listen and respond. I mean, you've, if you've been a parent or whatever, you tell your kids something, and you're like, did you hear what I said? And it's usually no. So the sense of hearing that Jesus talks about is not just hearing it, but somehow it sinks. You connect it. You do it. All right. So, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables, for they look, but they really don't see. They hear, but they don't listen or understand. Turn it over. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. This is from Isaiah chapter 6. It says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. So Jesus says there are some people who won't understand what he says. Not because Jesus is being random, but because they choose not to take it to understanding. When you see what I do, you won't comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear. Again, I've highlighted all the hearing parts if I got it correctly, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. All right, That's why Jesus wants people to turn to him. Healing, wholeness, life. But blessed are your eyes, Jesus says, because he's saying this to the disciples, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. And again, he's talking to his group of disciples and maybe the others around them but they didn't see it and they longed to hear what you hear but they didn't hear it. And then he explains the parable and then we'll talk about this. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. All right, there were four different scenarios. First one, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches the seed away that was planted in their hearts, all right? Scenario two. The seed on the rocky soil, these are all people, and you know people, maybe you like these scenarios, and maybe you've been that. Hopefully you're not, you, aren't, aren't, you aren't that right now. See, seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Like, ba-da! But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems. Third scenario, third category. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so no fruit is produced. In the fourth one, which is the desirable grouping, the seed that fell on the good soil represent those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as been planted. In other gospels, when he talks about that last category he talks about, he describes the people as those who have a good and noble heart. They hear it. They understand it. They produce. So there's, there's four categories here of, of people. And again, I, uh, we've probably been in all four of those categories at different times in our lives. And there, it's even possible if you're a follower of Jesus, there may be something he's saying to you now that may be falling on like hard dirt in your heart for some reason. And you need to respond to that, Right? So uh, let's just go through the four scenarios here, all right? So one thing I'll say, too, first, everybody everybody hears. So everybody has a chance to hear. He's not saying, well, some people don't even hear anything. Everybody hears. So in, in in a large way, even the excuse of somebody saying, well, nobody's heard about Jesus before, everybody has a chance to hear. Jesus is able to make himself known to anybody around the world, anywhere. He's able to make himself known in a way where somebody can respond to something they sense of God. But in this case, the point is everybody hears. So nobody has excuses, right? First category is this. Uh, you can hear and not understand. This is the seed that, that fell on like hard, mole-infested ground. And it wouldn't take root. And before it even had a chance, he says the evil one comes and snatches the seed that was planted in their hearts. So it's kind of the sense of something that was hurt, something that Jesus said or had said to somebody. And we typically think that is maybe people who haven't yet opened their hearts to Jesus. But they, they know, they, they can recite Christian things, but it hasn't taken root. It hasn't even broken the soil yet. But it also, I'm just saying this for us, it, I think it can be for us too. There's times where maybe God said something to me or you, and it just sits there on the hard dirt. It just sits there. Maybe it's not a major thing, but maybe there's something. Maybe it's a nagging thing. Maybe there's something you've caught. I think God wants me to do this, or maybe it is an obedience thing where you're like, I know Scripture says I shouldn't do this, and it's, but it just sits there on the hard soil because you're not quite sure if you're ready to obey because you're not sure of all the consequences of obedience. Which, but so, so again. We typically think of this being non-Christian people, but I also want you to think about yourselves and myself. And um, one of the things for this, C.S. Lewis actually talked about, it's really easy to find ourselves in this category because we want to do everything we want to do in life. We have our own ambitions, our own financial plans, whatever, and we simply want God to bless our plans But he said the reality is, this is the phrase he used, we have to be plowed up and re-sown. I have to allow God to plow up things in my heart that are hard, which is not fun, right? So so sometimes it might be wise to pray, okay, God, if there's some area of my heart that's either resistant to you or just passive-aggressive toward you, then plow that up for me. And it, God will plow up your heart if you ask him to and it's, it's not comfortable, it's inconvenient but, but if you want things to take root so there's times, and I, I just love the way C.S. Lewis says it, we have to be plowed up and re-sown it's not going to happen if you just keep going and just throw the, throw the seed on the hard soil and think, it's, think all of a sudden you're going to be this great full of joy, full of peace Christian person when you're not doing the things Jesus told you to do Because I think sometimes we get, I get, like, oh, come on, why can't I have, why do I not have more of these character qualities in my life? Well, most likely is because there's still things that Jesus is trying to take root in my life. So it's kind of like you can't have your cake and eat it, too. If if the soil needs to be re-sown, and you might have had, all of you probably have had times in your life where you feel like, yeah, that was a time in my life where God was ripping up the soil because he was trying to get my attention. But it's okay to ask God for that. It's okay to invite that, not that... Uh, not that there is anything you're intentionally resisting, but maybe there's things you just kind of don't see it anymore. So that's the first category. You can hear, and you cannot understand. All right? Second category of people or situations, you can hear, and I put up there, with joy, because he says these people hear with joy. They hear like, wow, this is, really, this is a really neat teaching of Jesus, or I get this commandment of God here, and I get this, I understand this, but then it doesn't last long. It's like I'm, I'm they fall away as soon as they have problems, or are persecuted for believing God's word. So it's when you get excited about something, I, I, I think of junior high when we had time the mile, and I was always close to last place. But there's always those kids who run the first lap as fast as they can, and then what happens on the second lap? You know, but that's a spiritual reality too. There's times you get excited about something. Oh, this, and then what Jesus says here the falling away comes when you start having problems and a good example I use for this or persecution a good example I use is this I will guarantee you I mean I believe we believe scripture tells us to tithe give 10% of our money to ministry church and it's not about money for Exodus because if you you don't tithe I'll give you a list of churches in Bloomington you can send your money to so it's not about Exodus needing the money it's about you needing to let go of it I guarantee you, though, as soon as you start tithing, as soon as you make that commitment with joy, within days or weeks, your carburetor or your alternator is going to break down, your uh, water heater is going to break, or one of your kids is going to need uh, wisdom teeth surgery because it's going to be it's going to problems. It's going to test your resolve, and God doesn't do that. I'm just saying it's how it happens. So there's other things where you make a decision. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, just what Jesus wants, I'm going to do it, and then problems hit on the way. Or we fall away because we're persecuted for believing God's word. And you might say, I don't know, I haven't felt any persecution, I'm not going to. Anymore, and I asked him, so the church? Oh, and I said, "Why?" I mean, I it this way, I know this guy well enough. We had a friendly conversation, and he just said, "Well, I just read too much on social media about how the how the church is really missing the mark on all kinds of things." Primarily, he was talking about the uh, LGBTQ stuff. And racial stuff. And he was kind of putting the blame on white evangelicals. That's what he said. And this guy himself was a grew up in a white evangelical background. And he he was saying that. And I, he was kind of using extreme arguments and stuff. And he, he even said, I know these are extreme arguments. So the things I read in social media I know are exaggerated extremes. But really what the core of it was, and I think we are all are susceptible to this, he didn't He wasn't, it's not persecution, it's more like, I don't want to be associated with a group of people that the social media world doesn't like, right? So you may not feel like you're being persecuted, but I guarantee you there's times where you may not want to speak up on, because for believing God's word, I'm not talking about just sexual issues, but other times, especially those are issues now, speaking up on what scripture says or even just holding that belief we feel the pressure of the culture around us. So it's really easy just not to say anything or to give in to what people around you are saying and agree to something you don't really agree with because you don't want to... So it's 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 almost like this passive persecution, but I think we all feel today. And, And this person told me he knew a lot of people who had walked away from the church recently in the last few years because... Of the church's position on, or not church's position about what God says about sexual expression, and so and he basically was saying, and I'm kind of I've, I'm just giving into that pressure. I'm I don't want to feel like I'm I don't want other my, I don't want my other friends to think I'm weird. All right, that's what persecution is. So maybe that's maybe that's you. Maybe there's times, and I'm not just talking about the sexual expression issue, but other times there may be times where we feel the pressure of. I'm not going to use the word cancel culture in a buzzword way, but, you know, I'm saying we don't want somebody to disregard us or think we're weird or think we're kind of fanatical. Uh, And so we just kind of don't say anything or keep our mouths closed. Or I know in some situations, I know some people who, who have done this, Christian people, who they look at the, I know one pastor in particular that they look at this one pastor I know in particular who pastors a small Southern Baptist church. He has the spirit of Jesus in him. Most people of that church, and not all of them, probably voted for Trump. I'm not trying to make a political statement, but but it's really easy for other Christians to want to throw them under the bus because they don't want to be associated. I'm not, I don't want to be associated with political realities, but they still have the spirit of Jesus in them. So it's really easy to throw people under the bus who have the spirit of Christ in them because they because you don't want to be them and I don't want to be them but I also don't want to throw them under the bus because they have the spirit of Christ in them and yes there are people who don't have the spirit of Christ in them but you know what I'm saying so it's just that the sense of the sense of the doesn't last long often is kind of this social pressure we feel because again I, as far as I know nobody here has been arrested or, or uh, physically hurt because of their beliefs so that's the second one. Third one uh, you can hear the message but it gets crowded out. And I actually made the font crowd itself, not because it was mashing the message, but because I had to get all the words in one line. So. But the message gets crowded out. Uh, that's the one where it said the seed gets thrown, but then weeds grow around, and they start choking out the seed. And Jesus said what, what's happening is they, get, they hear it, and they're excited about it, but then the worries of life and the lure of wealth... Crowd out what you know God has asked you to do. Well, but if I do what God has told me to do in Scripture, or if I do what he's told me in this certain situation in my life, it will, it will, it will put you in a situation where you're outside your comfort zone. Anxieties, worries about money. So here's the way I say it. So like, where's this? Let's say if, if I draw a circle on the floor right here, and this is your comfort zone, this is my comfort zone, this part of the parable is talking about times where God asks you to do something over there. He's like, well, I'm, I'm comfortable here, God. Can you just ask me to do something here And how I understand my life and my life with Jesus? And he'll be like, no, I want you to, want you to do that. So this is... This is when you hear something and then you realize this is going to expand my comfort zone in a way that I don't want to. And one of the phrases we use at Exodus is Some, sometimes, if not often, God wants us to stretch beyond comfort. So this parable, this part of the parable, lies the people who are say, no, no, no. I'm not stretching beyond comfort. If he asks me to do something within my comfort zone, I'll do it. But if it, if it gives me any anxieties Or tempts me in terms of the financial part of my life, I'm not doing it. So, Jesus is saying that, and I think he's not just saying this about non Christians again, he's saying this about we can be this way. So, in the last one, which is the one that we would all aspire to be in, I would hope so, he says, but you can, then you can hear and understand. There are those who hear and understand. Now, I don't mean, he doesn't mean understand. The word understanding is not simple like, oh, I understand what the words mean. It's more of, Uh, in some sense, it's like one of these aha moments. Like, cartoon character with an exclamation exclamation point. Like, oh, I get it. I get what he's asking me to do. And not just, I get it, I'm going to do it. Because you can hear things, and I can know, I'll I'll use tithing, I can know that tithing is something God wants me to do. But until I understand, oh, he wants me to do that not because he's trying to make me poor but because he's trying to make me have greater trust in him and I, that's what I want so it's kind of this, you start connecting the dots as to why Jesus is asking you to do something because no, none of us like to do anything simply because somebody says I said so, All right if I told Alan to do something he said why should I do this, well because Alan because I said so, I'm the pastor and I said so it's not real motivational. it never works with your children, by the way, in case you 're a parent. I said because well, it, it does because but it's, it then becomes more a, f- a force of power and guilt and fear but uh, but he's, it's a sense where you 're like, "Oh, and now I get it why this is something God wants me to do and what's interesting here, you'll notice Jesus never. He doesn't really talk. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. This is not about getting into heaven after you die. Of course, that's part of the of the the life of following Jesus is spending eternity with him. But he seems like he's talking about the results of this life in this life. And here he says, so somebody hears and understands it's the seed that takes root and it produces a harvest of 30, 60, or hundred times as much has been planted. Well, what's he talking about there? Well, Sometimes it might think, well, he must mean if somebody, if I'm being obedient, then 30, 60, or 100 people might follow Christ because of me. And that may be part of the application of that. But I think he's also saying, if you do what I tell you to do and obey what I've told you to do in Scripture, there will be a harvest in your soul 30 or 60 or 100 times more than what you have even imagine that will, that will fill you with joy and peace. And the word I'll use is a- This is Jesus' promise of abundance. Remember in uh, John 10.10, he says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he's not talking about eternal life at this point. He's talking about a present-day eternal kind of life where there's an abundance of all the, the things we really want in life. We want peace, we want joy, and we want security. And security found in Jesus is the only place to get that. But that's the abundance he's talking about so you might be wrestling with something God's asking you to do you know it's God either it's clear in scripture what he's asking you to do commandments the words of Jesus or maybe there's something specific he's asking you to do that is related to something he's already said in scripture and you're if you're like me you're kind of weighing the odds well okay, I don't want to lose my salvation so we don't think about it that way I don't know if I'll do that as long as I can keep my ticket, I'll do this. If that's how you're thinking, it's the, it's the wrong questions you're asking. Because what Jesus is saying, no, if you do what I'm telling you to do, and you obey in the areas of your life, are hard for you to obey in. He promises an abundance of harvest in you, in your soul. He doesn't promise more money. This is where these kind of passages get perverted. Sometimes. He doesn't, he's not promising more money. He's not promising bigger houses or better cars he's promising an abundance of soul here which i'm guessing if we understood that we'd rather have that than money anyway and you're like oh wait anyway, i'd rather have money no i'm sure if you if you really knew what the abundance he's talking about was we would take that any day over five times our current salary and if you're like me as soon as i said that i thought wait a minute, let me think about that is that true but no but that's that shows some of my own idolatry i think that's going to be give me the kind of joy and peace in life, but as I just realized, no, this is. I need to handle my money the way God tells me to handle my money. I need to handle my choices the way God tells me to handle my choices. And if I do that, his promise is an abundance in my soul. All right? doesn't, mean, doesn't mean I'm going to be healed of cancer if I have it. It doesn't mean I'm going to have more money. It just means there's an abundance in my soul that defies human possibility because it comes from another world. So, uh, finishing this, uh, the, again, the passage. I always go back to the statement of Jesus, follow me, and I put in there, in parentheses, this was a phrase we've used in Exodus different times in the past. When Jesus says, follow me, he really, he really could equally have said, I want you to hear what I say and respond. Do what I'm asking you. Following him is not just a mental thing, yeah, I follow Jesus, but I don't do what he says. If you say that, you're not following Jesus. So, hear and respond Is the bottom line? I was talking just. I'll finish after this. Just before the sermon, I was talking to Doug Parker. He owns a business, and in short, what what he was saying was the bottom line is money. I mean, it is. It's profit. I mean, if if you don't make profit, Doug doesn't have a business. All right. So, what's the bottom line for the church? It's not money. Some churches have made that. Bottom line for church is not money. It's not numbers. The bottom line is are people hearing and responding to the voice of Jesus. That's the bottom line. I'd rather pastor a church of five people who hear and respond to God than 5,000 people who are just there. Some maybe hear and respond, but most of them don't. All right? That's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for people to hear and respond to him. He's not looking for people who um, simply listen to Christian radio. Nothing wrong with that. He's not looking for people who simply go to church. Nothing wrong with that. He's looking for these kind of people. Um, your parents again. You, that's what you want of your children. You want them to hear and respond to what you're asking. This, this is the most important, this is the bottom line for Jesus and his church. Are we hearing and responding to what he's telling us to do? Has nothing to do with the political environment of our day or the social situation around the country. It's all about what he wants us to do. I was telling this friend of mine this week, we were having lunch, and I said, we, we got to talk about politics, and I just said, you know, the bottom line is I think God's most concerned, not with whether you're Republican or Democrat, he's most concerned of, uh, with the church. And is are the people in his church doing this? If the people in his church are doing this, the world will change. If the people in, our church, in the church kind of dabble with this and dabble with other things, it's not, but the problem with our culture is not the culture, it's the church. Um, it's me, it's you. That's, you know, um, if we do, if we are these kind of people the world changes. Our neighborhoods change. Our marriages change. Our families change. So let me pray, and then we'll uh, take communion. So Jesus, even like the disciples, we kind of, we can come to you and say, why do you teach this way? It's, and other times the disciples even said to you, it's hard to understand. Why don't you just make it clear to people? But Jesus, I think even your response to disciples, you, you you speak in a clear way where every single one of us can know it's your voice speaking to us. We can know you're speaking and we can know what you're saying. But then, Jesus, we want you to give us the kind of hearts who can be plowed up so what you say to us, we actually rearrange our lives to do. Uncomfortable, inconvenient, yes, but we do it because we believe your promise that there will be a 30 or 60 or 100-fold abundance in our souls because we trust you. We sang that earlier. We trust you. And we trust you because we know your promise for us, your desire for us, your will for us is the abundance of soul. That's what you want for us. That's why we trust you. And we love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So. Uh, We take communion every week, and it can, uh, maybe not for you, but I think for me sometimes it can feel, uh, I don't know, mundane. I know some people that say we don't do communion every week in some churches because they don't want it to get irrelevant or boring or whatever. That's more of a state of your heart, not the state of whether the church does it every week or not. We I choose we chose the early on in Exodus to do it every week because I want all us to remember it's always coming back to what is Jesus doing for us. I need you. Oh, I need you. I need you know. So uh, every week I like to give you some, when you I would mean, like to give you some kind of mental prompt that when you take this into your body, just take this and remember me. Um, what I want you to remember this week is Jesus promises if you do what He's asking you to do. He promises 30, 60, 100-fold abundance inside of you. So when you take this, you're basically saying to Jesus, I, I believe that promise, and I'm going to act on that promise, that I know if I do what you ask me to do, however difficult, inconvenient, or uncomfortable it is, if I know that. So as you take this into your remember, remember that last part of the passage we read. That's what I want you to remember. Jesus says, remember me. I want you to remember that. Yes, remember the cross. Yes, remember the resurrection. That's the core of it all. But let's remember his words of if you do what I'm saying, you will have an abundance of fruit back in your soul. All right. So Aaron's going to lead us, and I'll let me pray. So Jesus, we uh, the the abundance of soul you promise isn't possible apart from the cross and your resurrection, because then Scripture tells us because of that the same Spirit in you is now in us. So every single person in this room who, who has opened them, their hearts to you has your supernatural spirit inside of each one of us and that's where the abundance becomes prevalent and it grows because your spirit is doing work inside of us that our human effort can't do so as we take this bread and this cup you said to remember you so we're remembering today jesus that your promises always lead to abundance of soul your your commands aren't burdensome they're not legalistic they always lead to abundance of soul so we take this into our bodies as a remembrance in remembrance of your promises, of abundance for our souls. And we ask this on your name, Jesus. Amen.